welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast and today we have a guest from Australia and um, her name is Faye Lawrence and she is the founder of Untoxicated, Australia's largest alcohol-free social community with around 10,000 members. And having been a heavy but high-functioning drinker since her teens, Faye wound up in inpatient detox in late 2017 after the wheels really fell off and determined not to let her sobriety ruin her social life, Intoxicated was born. Faye is a TEDx speaker, co-author, and has widely featured across different media. A social butterfly and a bit of an idealist, she believes in a world where everyone belongs and advocates to normalise living alcohol-free and reduce stigma around addiction. And with Faye's lifelong fascination with human behaviour, led her to study in psychology, coaching and counselling. I know this all very well. And she now works with people who want to change their relationship with alcohol. And interestingly, Faye was also diagnosed with ADHD at the ripe old age of 48 and is passionate about creating awareness about the strong link between ADHD and alcohol dependence in the hope it might help reduce similar pitfalls for other women. I think this conversation is going to be so helpful. Um, Faye, thank you so much for reaching out and I'm just delighted to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Kate. I'm um, really excited to be here. Yeah. Well, you know, and interesting when you sent me that message, it had been on my radar that I'd not done um, a conversation about specifically alcohol addiction. I know I'm, I mention mm. addiction a lot in lots of different podcast episodes and, you know, I see it manifest in so many different ways. Even just today, I was having a chat with a client and hers was more of an exercise addiction. And I, I was trying to explain mm. to her that the the addiction you know it doesn't matter what the addiction is it's the reason why the addiction is there and yeah. so many people go through you know alcohol dependence drugs shopping gambling sex exercise whatever that looks like because we don't understand the ADHD is there and so we spent possibly all our lives trying to understand the addiction trying to heal from the addiction and it's yeah. just this cycle that we can't break and then when we get the ADHD awareness and we understand how it all manifests in our brain with the dopamine seeking mm. and the fact that we can't retain the dopamine, which is why we're on this sort of addictive kind of juggernaut, it really helps a lot of people and gives people a lot of validation. So I think this is really a very much needed conversation. Thank you so much for bringing awareness to it. Yeah, thank you. I feel particularly passionate about this subject um, with the experiences that I've had. And um, I really do think it, it's so interesting, Kate, because I'm coming up, well, I'm five years sober now, I'm past five years sober. And so obviously with intoxicated as well as my friends outside of that and more broadly in the sober community or the alcohol free community or the sober curious, which, you know, wherever, 
whatever terms work, everyone's getting diagnosed with ADHD. I kid you yeah. not. I would say probably about 80% of my friends have had late diagnosis in the past 12 months. Yeah. It's just blown my mind, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. What's fascinating is that I hear this a lot that people um, are seeing sort of like old school addiction specialists, psychiatrists, psychologists who aren't making that connection, who aren't understanding yeah. how profound addiction is within the ADHD spectrum without understanding to even start looking for signs and traits. And they're feeling really, really let down. They're feeling let down by um, people who they believe should know this, should make these yes. connections. And yes, that healing can take place without an ADHD awareness. But I wonder how much easier it would have been maybe for you to have understood the roots of your addiction and understood that, yes, I do understand that trauma is hugely involved with addiction. Yeah. But also understanding that there were certain elements of it that we had no control over and it was an ADHD brain. How does yes. that impact you on your journey? Oh... I mean, I only got the diagnosis July last year, so I'm still in the thick of the roller coaster um, of trying to come to terms with it all, you know, accepting, going, right, okay, what does this mean for me now? But there was a period there of, you know, I was really angry because, you know, I've seen a lot of mental health professionals over the years. I've studied psych myself. I was seeking help for alcohol on and off for 17 years and not once in my many, many interactions with any of those services did anyone say or did I ever hear that ADHD might be a possibility. And it makes me angry, it does, because, um, you know, as we know, addiction doesn't just impact the individual, it impacts their whole family. And there is that sense of, had this been picked up earlier, um, things could have been different. But I think also what you mentioned there is really important because it does, there is a sense of validation also of, ah, uh, but of course, you know, like this was, it, it's, it's, like I, I've, I've sort of been saying to some people, it's not your fault, it's your ADHD. So of course you're going to experience addiction in some form, like you mentioned, Kate, with its shopping, gaming, drugs, alcohol, sex, you know, shopping. And that does, that part does feel quite validating to me of, yeah, this was kind of a foregone conclusion almost. Um, but also, you know, I've got addiction in my family and once I got my diagnosis, I was able to look back and go, oh my God, like literally everybody in my family is neurodiverse. And it made me much more, I'm not sure if giving's the right word, but it made me much more um, understanding of other people who were, the adults in my life as a child who were also experiencing addiction to go, okay, that really makes sense now as well. Yeah, being able to look through the lens of compassion and forgiveness when you can understand where it's come from as opposed to it being like, you're just, you know, a shit show. You've just, yeah. ram, you know, ram railed your whole life. Like, why have you not got control? 
and yeah. it gives us it gives the family that kind of like softening because yes mm. there has there's been all that dysfunction and chaos but it gives us more of a, a an understanding and i really do hope that as things progress and the understanding of neurodiversity and, and, and addiction like i had um i don't know if you listened to the episode with sarah templeton and she is amazing and she's been sort of shouting about the connection between addiction and adhd for for years um, right. and another one of her um kind of like things that she's very passionate about is screening as soon as someone goes into um prison service into any police custody anything like that especially if there's drugs anything involved screen them for ADHD so they yeah. can get the help they're not reoffending they're not going back to drugs and it's just such a simple relatively inexpensive assessment to do but the mm. impact can be huge i mean how does that impact you with the work that you do now in your community are you coming out and talking a lot about your ADHD and is that helping lots of people in your community I have spoken about it, yeah, a few times since I got the diagnosis. Um, I'm also mindful, though, that, you know, not everyone that has um, a problematic relationship with alcohol necessarily has ADHD and vice versa. So, you know, I don't want to kind of tar everyone with the same brush, I suppose. But, you know, what we do know as well is that even people who, um, you know, aren't at that pointy end of, of being addicted and alcohol use disorder is a spectrum. What we know is like even people that aren't quote unquote addicted are more prone to binge drinking, for example. The effects of alcohol are more significant. As a teenager, so teens in particular, are they're hugely susceptible. And usually if the drinking drugs, whatever it is, starts at that age, um, it means that, you know, there's worse outcomes for them. They're much more likely to get addicted. People who do get addicted or do fall on that alcohol use disorder, if they have ADHD, they're much more likely to fall in the chronic alcohol use disorder eventually. Their um, period of, of addiction goes on for much longer. If they do in go into seek help, they often don't sustain that. Um, and so, you know, the, the, you're kind of really up against it. <laughs> you're kind of really up against it because of the ADHD, particularly if you're undiagnosed. So we've had some clinical guidelines, the first ever released in Australia late last year. And that was one of the recommendations was the clinical recommendations around screening in prisons and screening in inpatient facilities, detox, rehab, all of those sorts of things. Whether we see that happen, um, you know, because I think it's like I've got I've made I made some notes here with the research. Thirty percent of people in treatment centres have ADHD. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised. I th I would think it's probably more, but well, that's diagnosed. Okay, yeah. So I'm kind of like wondering: is the self medication of using alcohol for that? Is that something that you? can relate to as well as opposed to it being um something that we're almost unconsciously doing oh my god people so recognizing much. the connection that i'm not living an authentic life or i'm suppressing and, and burying deep trauma and that's why i need my drink yeah look i mean i think a lot of times people whether they realize it or not are drinking to tolerate a life that they actually are not happy in and whether that's in a marriage like you say i think that happens to a lot of people is that 
the drink is the thing that numbs them out that goes okay I'll deal with it tomorrow like it's you know um, and it's sort of a an avoidance tactic but certainly around all these other things that you mentioned around trauma mental health so for me when I first started drinking I was probably you know I was like a lot of families in the UK it was a boozy thing that's what we did every time we got together it was you know and then all chuck the Beatles on and have a dance around the lounge room type of thing um and so you're kind of indoctrinated as well from a familial and cultural perspective in both Australian and the UK culture but it was when I first had a drink, a proper drink, and got really hammered. I was probably about 13, and just the sense of relief. I mean, I can still remember it to this day. The sense of relief that I could switch my head off. And now I look back and go, that was ADHD because my head was just constantly fringing, pinging around. And then later on, huge anxiety. Anxiety has been a problem for me my whole life. The social anxiety was off the charts. And it's something that, you know, people who come to Untoxicated or come to coaching, uh, social anxiety is almost always in the picture, regardless of ADHD or otherwise. And, I absolutely did because the, you know, you kind of, you might have an episode or something where your anxiety has been really bad or there's been a situation where, you know, I, I used to avoid going to supermarkets and things like that because I was too, you know, like, oh my God, I might bump into someone and then I'd be panicky and then it would like, oh my God, they know. And then your nervous system is so activated. You, you feel like you need the alcohol to bring it back down and then you become reliant on that to bring it back down and so you get to i'm 40 i've never learned any healthy coping mechanisms they were never modeled to me either because there was addiction in my family and then when you stop drinking you're like oh my god what do i do <laughs> you know like, how do i operate in the world i know i've got none of the tools here but interestingly enough, um, I did that. That was when you've then got that clarity and you can see things without the alcohol. That was when I was like, something isn't right here because everyone else was, you know, in the sober community and, and, and intoxicated, springing out of bed at 6 a.m. <laughs> and going for runs and, you know talking about oh god how their mental health was so fantastic now and they didn't have anxiety and you know all these massive amazing benefits and I'm like oh my god I none of this I don't feel calm I don't feel I never feel calm in my body or my mind I've got combined type and I'm I'm the more severe end um and yeah, I was like, this isn't right that my body is constantly um, in this state of feeling activated uh, and my mind just never shuts off. Um, mm. And it's exhausting. And like many people here, I had the boom bust, you know, work, 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 go, 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 doing so much, overwhelm, mm. crash. But I always just put that down to 
oh god just so much you know like oh you're lazy you're a failure why can't you do what everyone else can do you know this is you're flaky you've got too many things you jump from thing to thing and um the alcohol as well is used to deal with those negative feelings that you have about yourself because yeah. you feel like a piece of shit and mm. you feel like you're constantly lagging behind you feel like you're not good enough you feel like um i just want something to take this away for a minute and then it develops into you know the sort of few glasses after after work, few glasses of wine after work with your mates, then before you know it, you know, like I say, it's an addictive substance, it's, prog it's progressive. So women listening to this podcast who might go, oh, that's not relevant to me. You know, that, that really doesn't apply to me and I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to my wine. And that's absolutely fair enough, by the way. Um, but just, just know that it, it, it can... I never thought I'd end up in the position that I ended up either. So you went into an inpatient facility. Yeah. And that was in that was in 2017. That's and right. do you mind me asking how old your kids were at that time? No, not at all. Um, so my kids were, oh God. So one's coming up 24 and the other one's 26. So they were adults. Um, but interestingly enough, you know, there are things, um, you know, like in COVID, for example, a lot of people, the wheels fell off them with their drinking because they didn't have those protective factors in place, like going out to work. Mm -hmm. They were suddenly at home. And so I'd lost a lot of protective factors. I was working from home. I, my kids had left home. So it was just me living by myself. I'd had a relationship breakup. Things have been going south for for a while i mean this, mm. this had been the writing was on the wall for for quite some time um and that was when the day drinking started and i was you know and i was waking up and 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 drinking but for the most period of my my drinking career as i call it um i I was high functioning. I was going out to work. I was a single parent with the kids. I was, you know, doing just doing so much. Mm. And um, it was really that last oh, 12 to 24 months, I'd say, you know, by my standards, by anyone else's standards. They may have looked at me and gone, Christ, you know, you're throwing up at work after you've been out on the turfs the night before. That's not cool. Oh, you're crashing in the car, you know, as in not yeah. crashing the car, um, but sleeping in the car at lunchtime or going for hair of the dog. And, um, but I was still performing. So, I mean, it feels, first of all, I just want to send you so much compassion because I know obviously you know you're sober now and you're now helping lots of other people but when you talk about that version of yourself it still feels quite raw and it's like you've obviously you can describe it so well like it almost feels like it was you know yesterday mm. and I guess you know on your so sobriety journey are you always very aware of that of how you were and I guess what how did you make that step how did you you know how has it been for you now especially because you didn't have the adhd diagnosis when you went sober and you were in that facility yeah. how how did you do it i 
think, and it's what I see with my clients as well, is that there comes a tipping point where, you know, in the stages of change, you're ready. And it's where the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change. That's it. And I was worried that something really bad was going to happen to me. You know, things were a hopeless state by then uh, for me. And um, I think the thing was I just admitted to myself at that point that things are, things were out of control. I'd always been able to, up until that point, go, oh, it's all right, everyone does it, you know, and it's just a big night out. And then, like, literally hours of the night just completely gone. No memory whatsoever. And... Um, you know, that was quite normal for me and, and also the people that I hung out with who were also professionals, you know, so it's, it's not like it's birds of a feather flock together. Yeah. Um, so it, it becomes normal, you know, we were all doing it. And yeah, when I really threw my hands up and went, oh, I, can't, I can't keep doing this. There's no, it's not helping with the anxiety. It's not fun. There's all the things that I'm using it for are just not working now and haven't been for some time and yeah it was just honestly it was absolutely terrifying because I was like how am I going to do life I, I, I just really didn't know I really didn't know how I was going to do life like how do you socialize without alcohol how the hell how do you adult how do you do anything Really, everything I did involved alcohol in some way, shape, or form for most most things, and um, yeah, I just I just honestly didn't know. And yeah, going into detox was the best thing that could have happened to me. I was like in there for about five or six days, came out, never had another drink. I was like, that's it, that is it. I am not going to be a statistic. This is where the stubbornness kicked in. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, right. Um, and yeah, and that shifted my mindset. I shifted my mindset. So if you're listening to today's podcast and you're finding it really helpful, I would love it if you could jump onto wherever you're listening to the episode and leave a review, a rating. This really helps with other people like yourself find the podcast. Perhaps they are just on the beginning of their journey and are desperate for help and resources and this podcast can really help with that and if you are looking for further support please do head to my website which is adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk on there I have lots of workshops resources information it's both paid for and for free my aim is to really help you and guide you on this journey and allow you to access whatever you can find that will help you where you are right now so that's adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk now back to today's episode so I'm, I'm kind of thinking that the hard thing with alcohol is it's so ritualistic isn't it it's so mm -hmm. ingrained in society and it's so ingrained in our habits our socializing our behavior and like you say to how am I going to do life without alcohol yeah. Just, you know, just thinking about going out for dinner or meeting with a friend or talking at a party, you know, just holding a glass in your hand is kind of like that social kind of comfort. And I can only imagine that people fall by the wayside. You know, people aren't ready to be part of your journey or you're mirroring back to them, projecting to them what they already know, but they're not willing to 
you know, to accept or see. So it Massively. must be, I mean, first of all, like amazingly life changing that you were at that bathroom floor moment, you hit rock bottom yeah. and yeah, you were indeed. able to, to come back from that. Um, but also, I mean, did you see people that you used to hang out with just fall by the wayside? Was there that, that situation or was did you have support there? I, yeah, look, I mean, people that I was in detox with went straight to the bottle shop after, after being released. And, you know, addictions are, are, are that's the off-license, by the way, for anyone listening in the yeah, UK. Yeah. It's because they're called bottle <laughs> shops here. Um, but, look, you know, and, and that was one of the things that was actually incredibly motivating to me when I was in there was I, because I was studying psych, I'd actually just finished the degree. Um, I was really interested in the data that was up there, and it, it spoke about... Uh, you know, how many times people came back, how many people were still sober at the end of the year uh, after being released. And it was, it, it was just like, I couldn't believe the amount of times people went in. They would go out, they'd come back in, they'd go out, they'd come back in. And I couldn't believe as well how many people were still not sober after, that weren't sober, sorry, after the year. And I just went, that's it. I'm, there's no way I'm going to be, on that board as someone who who didn't make it who didn't yeah. you know and I just had enough by then as well like I say I was I scared myself I scared myself with how bad that got um you know different people in terms of some of the the friends that I used to have at that point I'm still friends with some of them other people it's fallen by the wayside you quickly are able to see people that still want to hang out with you if you're not drinking maybe in a different capacity and that's I I don't have a lot of judgment about that because I was that person also Mm -hmm. and I I certainly don't want to be out here and being the alcohol police and saying you know like (laughs) but it's incredibly difficult for people the research bears this out for socializing and what happens is they either relapse or slip whatever term you want to use or they become socially isolated they stay at home and so I was like no I do not accept that you know this is ridiculous and that's why that's why I started intoxicated because I was like this is what I need and there must be other people out there like me um and we you know we host the sober alcohol free events you don't have to be sober 24 7 but it just gave people some way of you know even if they don't want to be sober for a long time or they're just having a break or they're having a health kick whatever it is Mm. a choice that was not putting your hand up and going yeah I'm defective my name's Faye and I'm a fucker you know am I allowed to swear yeah 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 excellent I wish I'd known that earlier Um, (laughs) (laughs) I always say swear away oh swear away oh I should have known from the previous ones that I've listened to I'll drop a few f-bombs in in between I'll edit them in don't worry oh excellent excellent um what was I saying (laughs) no but I think I was actually going to ask you about you know AA and I know obviously there's a huge amount of um, confidentiality and all of that and and again because I've never been part of that um, but I do I know enough 
to know that I don't know if neurodiversity is addressed at all in AA meetings. Um, and again, because it's quite an old um, institution, I know incredibly helpful for a lot of people. Yes. And, and I've heard Gabor Mate talk about AA and he says they don't address trauma. Oh. So we're, we're talking about an institution that has indeed you know, supported and helped people. But again, if they're not addressing trauma and they're not addressing neurodiversity, there's a lot there that needs updating. Is that, I mean, I don't know, because I'm not part of that world, is that a right thing to say or not? <laughs> well, this is my personal opinion. Um, look, I tapped into AA a little bit in the beginning and I did find it helpful. And what I found helpful about it was being around other people who understood. That was hugely powerful. And I would imagine it's much like when you, you know, in your wellbeing collective community, just being around other people who get it, who have had similar life experiences, feeling understood is so hugely powerful and comforting. So that was beneficial, but I was just, I'd come out like seeding a lot of the time because uh, yeah, not trauma informed, not strengths based. There's, I don't want to bag AA and the reason why is I think whatever uh, people do that works for them good luck to them you know if it's if it's hopping on one leg and that works for you great um, and I would never want to deter someone from trying things that might work for them but oh you know I think there's a lot of shame-based language there's a lot of shame-based practice and uh, you know because it's, it's it's grounded in religion at the end of the day and I know it's a uh, higher power of your choice absolutely but the some of the central tenets of it uh echo that kind of dogmatic approach and i think when people are at that point where they want to make changes they've had enough of feeling ashamed of feeling less than of feeling um guilty about who they are I personally then don't want to go when I'm trying to make a positive step and talk about my defects of character. I personally don't want to be de described as, you know, an unfortunate. You know, the, like the language to me is just appalling, uh, personally. But uh, yeah, I, I look. I really feel that it works for some, but then definitely needs to be alternatives. And while intoxicated is not a recovery program if you are someone who wants to make changes to your alcohol consumption and you are not in a recovery program you need things like that where you can be around other people who are in a similar situation or you know like-minded and also you need to be able to have fun because like this experience is pretty gnarly. <laughs> it's pretty gnarly. You've got to be able to have a laugh. You've got to be able to... How do you learn how to be in restaurants without alcohol unless you've got opportunities to do that in a way that feels safe, psychologically mm -hmm. safe? You know, how are you able to then rewire those neural pathways unless you're exposed to those experiences and can kind of go, yep, yeah, it's okay. Actually, I've had a really good time. I can do this. I, mm. You know, um, and look, there's other people around me. I don't necessarily know their alcohol stories, but they're all 
you know, high functioning people and they're, they've got families and they've got, so it's not just me, you know, because all this stuff that's hidden um, and that we don't speak about, like mental health used to be 20 years ago, mm-hmm. we need to bring into out of the shadows to go, look, this stuff is part of the human experience for pretty much everybody in some shape or form. Let's stop pretending it's not. Um, you know, whether it's addiction, whether it's mental health, whether it's neurodiversity, whether it's DV, you know, all of these things. And let's, can we get, you know, can we take the elephant out of the room and, and yeah. just get real about this stuff? And then we might actually be able to get people help sooner um, and support and access to the things that they need and they can show up in the world as, as, yeah. as who they need to be and who they are. I mean, absolutely and beautifully said because it, it's it's breaking down these stigmas and the taboos now. And I think yeah. I just get this collective feeling that people are just sick of it. People are just mm. sick of having to hide and mask. And they just, I think maybe the co- that COVID has sort of like um, exaggerated it for everybody as well. And mm. maybe COVID gave everyone a, a reason to be a bit more open, a bit more open on social media, open about their mental health, because it was a fucking shit show for everybody. And certain yeah. people dealt with it in, in different ways. Um, but it, it enabled people to really talk and say, I'm, I'm really struggling. I mean, this has yeah. been really hard. So now that we've kind of broken down that initial layer of vulnerability, I think the reason why, you know, ADHD diagnoses have gone up something like 400% in two years. So that's not, that's because the awareness, I'm not saying that people are magically, you know, getting ADHD. It's because people are understanding because the awareness is there. People are talking about it. And like you say, mental health 20 years ago was a a taboo, you know, subject. It was embarrassing. It's like, you know, we all knew people that struggled. We all had people in our family, but they were the crazy ones, the weird Hush ones, times. you know, the ones, yeah, yeah the we ones that, you know, about, were a bit yeah. strange. Yeah. And now, you know, with addiction, you know, sobriety, the fact that that word sober curious is now, you know, yeah. hash, the hashtags all over social media just showing, you know, and, and I'm in my, you know, 40s, my early 40s, and I know that people in their 20s i just like, you know what? I don't drink. I don't want to drink. It's not my bag. I'd prefer to do this. I'd prefer to do that. And there's not the same shame, but whereas I think we've been brought up in society in in just this different way where alcohol was just always part of it. And yeah. it was just and that and the shame if we if there's an issue where we don't want to drink or why don't you drink? And this, you know, it it's definitely I think a generational thing, maybe for us. But yeah. I wonder again, I wonder, you know, if you're you're in your twenties is being sober curious, is not drinking just out of choice because maybe you notice that your anxiety is a lot worse. You notice that you can't get up and have that run in the morning or you're not able to run your business. And there's there's not that shame that we held on to, you know, as our generation. Yeah, I think there's a few factors at play there. I think, I mean, the yes, young people are turning away from alcohol doesn't mean they're not doing drugs. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're actually yes. doing drugs yeah, instead, yeah. though. You know, young people be young people. Um, but yes, I do definitely think that um, these things are breaking down. And look, I, it, you know, just even in the five years that I've been um, alcohol-free, I've, I've seen a massive change in acceptability um, around 
the sober curious movement around alcohol free products so for me it was always about inclusion but it's showing that there's lots of reasons that people are choose. you know once upon a time it used to be if you don't drink you are definitely someone who's had a problem you know like it was a given now that's not the case at all i don't think i think so many more people are especially when they get to their 40s because we are the cohort 40 sort of 40 to 55 of where the we are the um the, the the worst in terms of the the drinking particularly women it's really really massively come up for women and it's no surprise particularly with the adhd because you're juggling so much you're in a constant mm -hmm. state of overwhelm you know and yeah. so of course you're going to want something to um you know the kids have gone to bed you're like oh you've, you, you know the witching hour you're cooking it's dinner and you're just like oh god i've just got to get through this like i've already done a day at work I, this is yeah yeah uh, you know that glass of wine that, that glass of is wine. like a hot bath it's like a warm hug yeah. it's a, you know it's great and then it's like okay you're gonna have one glass and that's fine but if that goes to a bottle then it's kind of okay we've got that, we've got you know a problem i think it's interesting if someone's listening to this right now and they enjoy drink and yeah. um they perhaps use alcohol as a crutch in social situations. We know that social anxiety and ADHD go hand in hand. Um, what's that tipping point? What's the tipping point where we should worry or we just enjoy having a couple of glasses of wine and we, we're quite happy with that? Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, you, we, we can quote the DSM, but I think it's actually in some ways a, a little bit more simple than that and by the way I am not anti-alcohol at all I am not anti people should all be sober no one should drink I absolutely believe people should have autonomy over their own bodies um, so I've, I've never taken an anti-alcohol approach um, in any of the any of the things that I've done uh, but I think that you know when you're spending a lot of time thinking about drinking recovering from drinking planning how you can possibly get more in and that might just be things like you know you've gone in around with people and you've knocked yours back super quick and you're kind of like duh, 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 duh. oh god i want another drink but it's going to look bad because i'm going up to the bar and like everyone else is like a third of their drink in you know it's these sorts of things like are you you know regularly turning up to work hungover when you do drink are you drinking a lot more or even you know a little bit more than you had hoped and are you doing that on a regular basis but i think personally a, a really key indicator is do you have any shame and guilt around your drinking do do you have shame and guilt around your drinking because people who are moderate drinkers don't they can take it or leave it whereas without fail someone who is has a problematic relationship with alcohol and for some people that might just be going out binging once once a week or it might just be going over the top once a month or it might be um you know it's it's really like half a bottle a night it it's so different for different people so are you experiencing those feelings of self-loathing of shame remorse guilt uh, those negative feelings after you drink 
And also, you know, are you showing up in your life in integrity as the person you want to be, as a parent, as a friend, as a, or is alcohol impeding that in any way? I kind of think these are the better questions to ask as opposed to, you know, let's look at how many drinks you're having and there's a criteria of, you know, if you're X, it's a problem or you get this label. I think it's actually bringing it back to like, is alcohol serving me or am I serving alcohol? Um, and, you know, for, for a lot of people, uh, because it is progressive, um, and so I was a high-functioning drinker for a long time. I was just the party, you know, still going out to, I had a career, I was studying psych, I had two kids, I was doing all the things, I had a mortgage, you know, high-functioning, which a lot of people are. You don't have to be the brown paper bag on a park bench scenario. You know, and that's not the reality for most people. Most of my clients that come to me are professionals. They're at the top of the game. It's the thing that yeah. goes on behind closed doors. Um, they might not necessarily have ADHD though, but there's always mental health stuff in the picture. Um, and yeah, I think really, you know, am I, am I a, a better person with it or without it? Can I ask, um, as we sort of begin to close the conversation, how, I mean, are you on medication? Do you take ADHD medication? And has that helped you with your addiction? I mean, because it hasn't been in the mix, uh, the addiction side of things for, you know, that, that five years, I, I, I never feel like I'm on the precipice of going back to drinking or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like, because I've gained so much, for me, you know, I always say it's like the portal to growth um, sobriety for me, for people that, that have, um, you know, a history of, of, of drinking quite a bit. Um, but I am on the meds. Look, it's been mixed. I've got to be honest. I was really yeah. disappointed because I, um, you know, I'd read all these things that people were saying about oh, it's like the light bulb switches on. And, you know, I really had high hopes. <laughs> and I was... So I'm on my third stim now. Um, I'm on Dex. I've tried Ritalin and Vyvanse. I'm not sure what that's called in the UK. Yeah, um, no, it's the same. Okay. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we hear this a lot. It's some, Sometimes it works brilliantly, medication. And sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why this podcast... I wanted to make this podcast is I wanted to give people an alternative or different insights or new ways and I guess that you know medication can be fantastic but if it doesn't work we have to kind of start kind of opening and being curious about other ways and I guess what's helped you if the medication's not been that lifeline what's helped mm. you from a lifestyle perspective stay I know that obviously you, you just said that the being sober has been such a I guess it, just being sober and seeing what potentially could have happened is enough to keep you, you know, not drinking. But what do you do for your for yourself to stay healthy? I mean, you look fantastic. Um, have you got any tips for anybody who maybe who who's thinking, you know, what? Maybe I'm not at that point, but I can really relate to a lot of what you're saying. And they're looking at reducing alcohol or, or stopping alcohol. Anything that you could offer? Yeah, absolutely. So. What I will say is that um, people who don't have a problem with alcohol don't question whether they have a problem with alcohol. 
So I never, for example, question my gambling habits because I never gamble. I might gamble once a year. It doesn't even enter my mind. Mm -hmm. And if it is entering your mind, there's a reason that you are questioning. And that's your inner, your inner knowing, it's your inner voice, it's, it's, it's telling you something. Um, so I would just say, have a sense of curiosity about that. Um, for me, what has really, really helped has been the gains that I've made in terms of my, and this is gonna sound really cheesy, but my relationship with myself. So I've done a lot of self-development over the years. Um, done a lot of therapy, all that sort of jazz, and none of the lessons really stuck for me until I stopped drinking. Mm. Because I never had the clarity. I never had the ability to distance myself from my thoughts, to pause before, you know, my impulsivity and my volatility and all of those things were much lessened when I, when I stopped drinking. They, they were still there but they were definitely less. And um, I was able to actually start building a relationship and liking myself, which again, sounds really cheesy, but before I stopped drinking, you know, people would talk about self-love and all of these things. And I was like, what the, how on mm. earth do you do that stuff? Like I wouldn't have a clue, um, but you know, it has been the portal for growth for me and what I would say to women is that you know we're trying to cultivate better relationships with ourselves and sometimes we we really get in our own way by um, self-sabotaging behaviors that we're, 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 we're just used to doing the habit forming they impact the brain of course we're going to. So it's not about being punitive and being tough on yourself. It's about showing yourself compassion. You've done the best you can. But I do all the things. I do the yoga, I do the getting out into nature. I, um, you know, make time for relationships that are important to me. I try and keep my stress levels, you know, to some degree, sleep's still rubbish. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Nutrition. because it's important to be honest isn't it it's important yeah. to, to to show that you know we we haven't figured it all out and it can no. be hard and we're on this journey and we just and each year we learn more and we have more awareness and new things come to light and you know hopefully you will find sleep again maybe that might come come in for different things um i think a lot of women might want to be you know interested in how you work and maybe if they're not based in Australia can they still work with you um, yeah what, yeah absolutely. yeah what options have people got I, I'll do it all over zoom so they're more, okay. more than welcome to um yeah send me a or get on the website whatever they want hit me up on socials um the way that I coach is very much based on the individual like I don't have a formulaic approach because I just don't think a formulaic approach works so you, you've got to look at I sort of say it's a bit like personal training, but around your alcohol uh, side of things. So, you know, it's just working with people and the life that they actually lead as opposed to some kind of ideal scenario that we would like to have. Um, and I do work with people as well that, you know, just want to have a break or that just want to cut back. Um, so I'm all about meeting people where they're at, not 
forcing them into, you know, obviously everyone should be sober because I, I don't, don't believe that they should. I think it's, it's up to the individual. What's your website, Faye? It's Faye, F-A-Y-E, Lawrence with a W, dot com dot A-U. Okay. All right. I'm going to make sure all the information's in the show notes because I really want people to be able to access you and access your coaching and your service and your community because um, I think what you're doing is really, really powerful and really important. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story and being really open and honest because I'm sure even though you've probably talked about it a lot, it's still, you know, it's still really a vulnerable story. So, um, Mm. and I know full well that you will be resonating with a lot of people or a lot of people will be resonating with you. Yeah, yeah. And I I really hope that anyone, um, you know, who, yeah, I just hope the message reaches people around this particular topic because I I really feel like it's so important and I, I feel like women beat themselves up a lot about some of this stuff and, you know, sometimes there's all these underlying reasons. It's It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Um, but it, unfortunately, like I say to my clients, no one's coming to save us. So yeah. we have to do the work. <laughs> Annoyingly, but we have yeah. to be the ones to do the work. We have we, to be the ones to, be to the do the work. Shi- yeah, we need to we be the ones with the light shining armour for ourselves. Yeah. Like you say, no, let's not wait for anyone to, to help us. Faye, thank you so much. Thank you, Kate. I really Kate. appreciate it. And um, hopefully we'll speak again very soon. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it has helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women, and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible, and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.